The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. I'm really excited to share this episode with you all. My guest today, Tyler Mayoras, is a friend and an impact investor focused on food and agriculture. I view Tyler as a big picture thinker on food, farming, health, and sustainability, which obviously makes him a perfect guest for this podcast. Tyler has over 20 years of private equity investing experience and is currently the co-manager of the $155 million Advantage Capital Food and Ag Fund. He's also an angel investor with a focus on sustainable brands, including Simple Mills, Tiesta Tea, Lava, Sparrow Foods, and Cool Beans. This is a pretty wide-ranging conversation, and we covered a lot of ground. From Tyler's work at Advantage Capital and as an angel investor, to his thoughts on food and sustainability, approaches to measuring impact while making investment decisions in the food sector, the lack of high-quality whole food plant-based products in the market, to regenerative agriculture, and whether animal farming can be sustainable. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tyler Mayoras. Tyler Mayoras, thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. This has been a long time coming. It has been. (laughs) We've been talking about the podcast for, I would say, over a year and a half, two years, almost, yeah. yeah. But A lot of common interests. Definitely. And we've had so many conversations over the past year or two. And uh, the last time we were chatting when you were in L.A., I said, well, this is really interesting. I think people would want to hear it. So that's why we're here now. So um, let's start with, uh, you know, there's so many different things we can talk about. I want to start with um, Advantage Capital. Sure. Of course, uh, you are a principal at that firm. Uh, So maybe we can start with uh, telling us more about the firm, what it does, and how it's focused on food and ag. So Advantage Capital started about 25 years ago, and it's an impact investing firm. So we get different buckets of money from other, either government agencies or limited partners, et cetera. And then we invest that into very specific um, industries or very specific geographic locations. So, and they've, they've over time invested probably about $2 billion um, and using new market tax credit programs and uh, state job funds. And oftentimes it's investing in good companies in bad neighborhoods. So trying to be a job story to, to generate and lift up tough areas. Um, our fund, which is a food and ag fund, was raised in 2015 
and it's what's called an RBIC program or, or an RBIC fund from, and that was something the USDA created to basically stimulate job growth in rural America. So 90% of the investments we make have to go in rural areas and they're all in food and agriculture. So that's, um, you know, what our focus is. The rest of Advantage Capital is focused on pretty much any industry. We, yeah. We've got investments across And you were brought in to specifically focused on that fund? Yeah. Is that yeah, how it began for just, you? Yeah, exactly. So I, I've been in private equity for uh, probably 20 plus years. Um, spent, did a few food deals during my private equity days and then went and did some consulting for a while and really focused on food and agriculture and spent a lot of time in uh, turnaround consulting specifically in the agriculture space. And so learned some of the different commodity cycles and uh, what's going on in different, the farm belt, et cetera. And then so uh, learned that and then had that combination when they raised the fund was a good fit for what they were doing. Yeah. And then what, what time in this process did you start getting interested in, say, plant-based food itself, or sure. maybe you changed your own diet, and having obviously worked in private equity and focused on the food industry, I'm assuming that probably led you to this uh, place you are now, or, or yeah. was it something else? Was it your own personal health? Yeah, so it's been a, an interesting journey. So I was vegetarian back in the 90s, um, and... Uh, that really didn't actually go that great for health because I was eating a lot of dairy and ate a lot of pasta back then. And there weren't a lot of options for mm -hmm. vegetarians. And so I probably actually gained weight back then. Um, then I went off of it when my kids were young. And um, when I went back, when I joined Advantage, I had been doing a lot of research on just food in general and diet and, and whatnot. Uh, and through that process was starting to, and tried a lot, a lot of different diets along the way and kind of settled on plant-based as being the best, the best way to eat from a health standpoint. Um, at the, around the same time when I was kind of coming to that conclusion, I also went to a, uh, an event called Escabona. I'm not sure if you're familiar with yeah. it. Yeah. So really good show that they don't do anymore, unfortunately, but a lot of thought leaders talking about a different topic. And this was in 2016, and one of their topics was the, the impact of, on climate of animal agriculture. And I didn't know those numbers going in, and, and really it was an eye-opening experience. And I went back after that conference. I immediately started doing Meatless Monday and went back and started doing a lot of research. And so I was researching the diet side. I was researching the climate side. And actually went to the EPA site and the USDA site and built up the statistics myself to try to figure out what is the greenhouse gas emission from the animal agriculture industry. And I was coming up with a number somewhere between 12 and 16 percent, which was similar to you know some of the numbers um, that other people were coming up with. And I said, wow, that, that's staggering. And it's number two behind the, the power plant, plant and plants across the country. And so I just said, that's, it's got to be um, more of a focus. And so then I just really started moving that way. It went from Meatless Monday to Vegan Monday, then Vegan Monday and Friday. And eventually I just went uh, 100% sometime in early 2017. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I find here interesting is that you obviously have been tracking the food and egg space for years now. Was sustainability a big topic of conversation? Um, when did it become so? Because I would assume that if you are, you're making big bets on 
companies, startups, um, projects related to agriculture, uh, a, a question that should probably come up in those discussions, maybe not in the due diligence, but probably at least as part of uh, some of your conversations with the entrepreneurs, the idea that um, how can you have a successful food business if you don't have healthy soil, healthy climate, right. and if we have a window, as some say, like 60 more harvests before we run run out of soil that can actually grow any food. Um, did Was this just something that never came up? Because I'm always curious, because yeah. in the last few years, obviously, everyone seems to be talking about it finally. Yeah. But what were people talking about in the years before that? It's a good question. I think that uh, if the very first food deal I did was Boca Burger back in 1997, and it was a plant-based deal. It just deal. so happened to be. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was very random. It was not, there was a niche of people that were mm-hmm. eating vegan or vegetarian. Yeah. And it was serving that niche, but it wasn't revolving around sustainability. It wasn't, it wasn't even revolving around health. It was revolving around animals at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And so um, we financed that company and it grew over three and a half years and then sold it to Kraft. And it was a, a really good transaction. But that conversation really wasn't going on. It maybe it was going on in some places, but I think that really has happened in the last, well, certainly the discussion about health was probably mm-hmm. 2005 with the China study, I think yeah. is probably when that really got started to become a conversation. Uh, and then the sustainability, I think, is really something in the last five years. You know, I think that the climate change impacts mm-hmm. I didn't know it before five years ago. Yeah. And, and I'm in the industry researching this <laughs> stuff. So I think it's really become a, a big topic. And mm-hmm. I agree. And I, when I first came across the issue of food and climate change was 2010. And uh, the UN had already, the FAO actually, had put out a report back in 2008. And when I learned about it in 2010, I thought, well, everyone must know this. Yeah. Uh, and so for the most part, I thought I was late to the to the subject matter, but, but no one seemed to be talking about it, which uh, influenced a lot of the work I've done in the last few years. In fact, even when I was publishing my book, Eat for the Planet, in which came out in 2018, but the process with the publisher started in more like 2015. Yeah. I kept telling the publisher, we have to move the publication date ahead. We should do this fast because... Because it'll be too late. <laughs> right, Cause, right. Because, uh, you know, this will be old news by then. Everyone will know. Your that book, this... by the way, was one of the ones I read when I was researching. So, <laughs> really? Yeah, okay. no, absolutely. And yeah, so it just, it, and I, and the, the thing is, and uh, based on the conversations I have lately with people, if you ask the general public, still most people are Don't largely know. unaware. Or Maybe. the health benefits either. That's mm-hmm. the, th- we, you know, we've. We read all this stuff, and we're, mm-hmm. we're hearing podcasts and listening to this, and we're in the heat of it, and we think everybody knows, and they just don't. They yeah. don't, and there's a lot of disinformation out there. And um, In fact, great, great example. I was just listening. There's a Make Me Smarter. Have you heard of the yeah. podcast Make Me Smarter? So I was listening to Make Me Smarter, and they had one about Impossible Foods. <laughs> and during the conversation, they were talking about it, and, and they, it was, they were talking about the growth of it, and it's great that it's gro- growing and people are doing that alternative. But then they started talking about the negative side of what's in the, the Impossible Burger, you know, the GMO pri- GMOs, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I, I, wanted to sc- I wanted to reach out through the, the, you know, the earbuds and scream that, wait a minute, what's in meat? I mean, <laughs> just think about the GMO food feed that's been fed to the animals. Yeah. 
and the heme iron and yeah. all these terrible things. So it's certainly better than meat, but no, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not whole food plant-based by any means. It's yeah. not the best thing you should be eating. But. Yeah, but it's like it's easy to, to focus on the negatives you can find and then use that to basically invalidate an entire category of products, right. which also isn't fair, really. So uh, it sounds like this happened, we'll say, 2015, 2016, and you started to both understand the impact of food in the environment plus your health. You obviously changed your own diet. How did that then influence the work that you were doing at Advantage Capital? Yeah, and so a little about our fund. We have 13 portfolio companies, and they range from hardcore agriculture to um, branded food. So we have, I think, seven that are on the food side and five that are, or six that are on the agriculture side. Um, I did, there were a couple boards that I sat on that that had, and keep in mind that we're rural focused, so Mm -hmm. we can only look at about 35 to 40% of the deals that we bring in and, you know, generate through deal flow. So we can't be extremely exclusionary from an industry standpoint in that kind of a fund because we're already exclusionary from a, re- from a geography standpoint. So we do have a couple animal agriculture. We have, I mean, we have a chicken deal. We have a fish. Um, we have a pizza company that obviously has cheese on everything. Um, but, uh, and, and I don't sit on the boards of any of those. I was on the board of one and I, I came off of that. Um, but I I think we, as a group, are trying to focus on where the growth is. And so certainly there's a lot more growth in the plant-based. Me personally, I wouldn't lead a deal on animal agriculture now. But mm-hmm. um, and, and as we look at this other fund that, that we'll talk about, the sustainability fund, I think that one of the areas when you think about sustainability, you can't really invest in animal agriculture if you're, if you're talking about sustainable mm-hmm. food. So that's probably one of the areas that we would avoid yeah that's it's so so what's next for advantage capital you you kind of mentioned that there's a possible a possibility of another fund um without obviously going to too much detail what yeah. do you see is the sort of next step with the with the fund and with its focus i mean plant-based is and and, and i want to talk about this too is in even in plant-based, as in, uh, it's a pretty pretty broad category, sector with multiple categories of products. And uh, as you we discussed with about Impossible, some better than others, mm-hmm. not just from a health standpoint, but also an environmental impact. There's been a lot of, it's, you know, for example, there's been a lot of talk lately around almond milk. There was an mm-hmm. article that came out in The Guardian about almond milk killing bees. And, and the obviously people are already familiar with the use of water, not just almond milk, but almond production in general, 80% of which happens in California. And it brings up, it brings into question, you know, foods are never perfect. Anything that requires uh, resources, anything that is done at a mass intensive scale, uh, any farming, I mean, I mean, really, uh, is going to eventually end up having to use uh, pesticides. It's going to end up having a negative impact on the soil and use up um, freshwater resources. So 
how do we how do we solve the problem of trying to build a more plant based? And I guess the question I'm asking more from a standpoint of a of a fund who's looking into this space is, and how do we solve these big problems we have with with climate change and our very obviously broken food system and the fact that it unless we really rearchitect the entire system, we're going to have a hard time feeding the world in a few decades. Right, right. Um, but at the same time, you know, one ingredient, if one ingredient gets too popular, whether it's almonds or pea protein, maybe, uh, it, it, it then... It also has an impact. It yeah. has this impact because yeah. then everyone's launching uh, farms to do that. And uh, so, so, yeah, how, as a fund who obviously has to exist to provide return on investment, how do you make those decisions also knowing that you know you've got to really keep in mind what your investment horizons are right uh, as as the environment changes and ecosystems start to crumble most likely right right yeah i mean we we it's a double line double bottom line of focus so we definitely are returns focused out of the box and then what we do with any investment that we make is we kind of create an impact scoring matrix uh that's a little bit different on the job side versus what it would be for this environmental side. Um, but we, we would have to look at that and really go through. Um, I, I would agree with you. Almonds uh, seem like a, um, a tough proposition because California, while it's having a decent water year the last couple of years, it's, it's not out of the woods by any means. It's, it's a water restricted area and the aquifers are much lower than they used to be. And uh, I'm not sure that that's, a long-term solution to try to take 80% of the world's almonds out of California after, and they're very water intensive. Mm -hmm. We do have a company, by the way, a sensor business that reduces water usage by about 25%. And they're specifically focused on the tree and, tree and nut guys and, um, and fruit, fruit folks to, to try to reduce that water usage. But yeah, short of recycling, what, what you really ought to do is recycle a lot of that water too. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you have to take into account all those factors and, and look at what is the true impact story of any investment that you make when you're trying to do something sustainable like that. Yeah. And it sounds like your focus as a fund is, is more on sustainability or will be more on sustainability. Um, and the reason I say that is because a lot of other, I would say a lot, there are some funds in, uh, in the plant-based space, specifically plant-based and cell-based yeah. space, that don't necessarily measure impact based on sustainability. They measure impact based on number of animals saved. Correct, right. Um, and Which wouldn't be our focus. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, again, without passing judgment on whether that's a right or wrong approach, the sustainability one is trickier for sure. The animal yeah. one is simpler, but yet at the same time, it does bring up other questions too, because um, so if it's not a one-to-one -one replacement, uh, a fund that's only focused on reducing the use of animals in in our food system, uh, probably won't look at a company if they aren't replacing another animal-based product. Right. Um, also, it then does not factor in whether the uh, net impact of that product and the ingredients used or the methods of production are actually good for the world. Yeah. Um, it or definitely humans. will be good for yeah. animals, but it could, may not be good for, for humans or the soil or possibly the environment. So these are more nuanced and, and, and complicated issues. And, and we can dive deeper into that. And, and I have a lot of thoughts. And I know you have a lot of thoughts on some of this stuff as well. Well, and just to describe yeah. the fund a little bit. So again, we're not just food investors. So we're food and mm -hmm. agriculture. So when we think about it, 
Um, and, and it's still a work in progress and we hope to be in the market sometime in the first, um, first set or second quarter, um, to go out and raise this, but it, but it would be not geographically restricted. So we could do urban or rural deals because we've walked away from a lot of great urban deals that we couldn't do. Um, and, and so we would look at it from the standpoint of, um, really sustain creating a sustainable food system and sustainable agriculture system. So organic and regenerative, um, eliminate reducing food waste, um, definitely plant-based foods. And uh, I, I don't know that would include cell-based food. I mean, it's something we'd all have to talk about. I'm not sure where that falls into the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but those are those are some of the the key areas, obviously. But then there's there's others too that we've talked about. But that's that's the general idea yeah. around it. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, I think the last point I'll make on this before I move on from Advantage Capital is that you need food and ag focus. Uh, that's that's my point of view on it. So I agree with this with this strategy or this thesis because you need to be able to reduce. Uh, agricultural impact. So, for example, the company you mentioned that helps reduce the use of water for for yeah. in the growth Poor of almonds, time. you need technology like that. So, it may not be the cool <laughs> uh, branded uh, fun products that everyone's talking about all the time. But our if you're really focused on changing our food system, we've got to tackle it at these small, well, not even small, but these less than sexy little technologies that all play the role in bringing together a more a better food system compared to what we have today at least yeah and some of some of the companies in our portfolio have i mean really fit into that category now I, another great example would be shenandoah growers which they're basically creating a um, um an, an enclosed system for growing agriculture inside but bringing basically bringing outside inside or outdoor growing inside and they, they've started with herbs. They're the largest provider of fresh herbs in the country. And they, they recapture rainwater, which then is, you add different organic materials to it. It goes through a four-step process and actually becomes nitrogen water, that that is their fertilizer mm-hmm. for the plants. And, it, and they grow in coconut husks with um, peat moss and some other proprietary materials. That's the soil. So it's actually growing in soil versus water or air um, like some of the other plants, which is healthier, they can. Mm-hmm. It's a hundred percent organic. They can call it organic. Oh, they can actually call it organic. Because wow. and it's just and so it's a bio farm. That's what yeah. they're growing. And if you think about right now, a ridiculous amount of our produce and um, vegetables and fruit come from California, and it's just not sustainable to think that the rest of the country is always going to be able to rely on California for those. And I think that's a big concern for some of the major grocers in the country, and they want to see this indoor agriculture thing come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have to look at both sides because it's also an argument can be made that until you actually get to s- solar mm-hmm. generating those the power for those LED lights, yeah. are is it really more sustainable than growing outdoors? Yeah. You know? So, so far, I mean, I when actually when I launched this podcast, I was going through a, I wouldn't say a phase because I'm still interested in that technology, but I was really diving deep into indoor farming and hydroponics. And because it, when I first started learning about it, I was like, this is, this is a solution because you can't, 
I lived in New York City at that time, and and there were all these talks about rooftop farms yeah. and and uh, urban, yeah, yeah, and urban agriculture, and you know we we have to bring the farms closer to where people are, and people are moving into cities and so urbanization is a trend that's obviously been around and continues to grow and will grow how do you bring food closer reduce food miles also minimize food waste but then i you know the the research i did and i talked to a few people in the space it seemed like there was a and, and you po- right rightfully pointed it out is that the power usage of mm-hmm. uh, some of these farms and if you're relying on uh fossil fuel imp- input obviously the net positive impact may not be <clears throat> as great as we we yeah. expect it to be just because uh, we're growing indoors and 365 days of the year yeah and i think if you if you're going to look at this scorecard there's a lot of different factors so you first the, the consistency of availability because anything outdoors is just going to get more and more inconsistent because mm-hmm. of climate change um you, you've got to look at nutrient density and use of non-use of chemicals um, you got to look at the transportation to get the product. The, the other interesting thing, you talked about local. So Shenandoah's model is different than that. Um, they're really organized in their, and where they would put future farms is right near distribution hubs. Mm-hmm. So they're near grocery distribution, and all their customers are grocery, they're the biggest customers, Walmart, Kroger, Ahold. Uh, and versus an aero farms or some of these other people that are set up in urban areas. The problem with that is you're kind of then limited to the restaurant industry and food service industry because the distribution for grocery comes from the grocery distribution mm-hmm. centers. It doesn't come from downtown. Or, so it's, it's a, it, in that model, you'd actually be sending stuff back out and bring you back in mm-hmm. be another transportation nightmare. So it's, it, local isn't always the answer too. So yeah. it's, a, it's an interesting dilemma. Yeah, and, and you know, I, we don't know where all this is going to end up, but it seems like we're going to end up with a mix of everything. I, yeah. I think they all play a role. No one thing is going to be uh, the solution to all our problems, and so it's a question of um, you know what can what can actually scale nationally. Um, some some of these farms are even talking about international. Well, the most. The most developed country in the world is the Netherlands. Yeah. I don't know if it, I just posted actually on Twitter, um, and great this aerial photography mm-hmm. of the farm, the the bio farms and and indoor agriculture farms in because they're usually under glass there, which mm-hmm. is what Shenandoah does too. So that it's a hybrid. You're getting some sunlight, and then you're also um, supplementing with lights, and you see all these different colored lights. These mm-hmm. huge bio farms with great colored lights and this guy's gone up and airily uh, i don't know if he did it on drones or on hmm. planes and took these great shots of yeah. these great colors and in netherlands they have a lot of uh wind power right i'm assuming they are better i think with so the, and solar yeah yeah and solar renewable. so you know uh, it, it's but in the developing world that's still a bit of a challenge so we are a long yeah. way off from this being something that can then be global but uh it's it's great to hear that companies are trying these things and and some of them like shenandoah experiencing some success mm-hmm. um i also know you've been doing some angel investing in the plant-based food space sure. so kind of bring it back to um the stuff that you find truly passionate i mean all of this is something you obviously are really interested in but uh how did you start getting involved with um plant-based brands in the cpg space and Tell us about some of the companies well, you invested yeah, in. Yeah, so we, um, 
We are allowed to invest in other companies as long as it's not a conflict of interest. Mm -hmm. And in this case, uh, I would stick to companies that are urban that we couldn't invest in anyway and generally tend to be a lot earlier, stuff before when we would look at them. Um, so I'm invested in, uh, well, go going back a ways, I was invested in a couple companies before I joined Advantage, and one of those was Simple Mills, mm. um, which was uh, uh, Caitlin Smith, great entrepreneur and um, grown very rapidly, and Tiesta Tea, which is... Uh, loose leaf tea mm -hmm. brand. Um, but then on the plant-based since, since, uh, my conversion, I guess in 2017, <laughs> um, I've really focused on plant-based. And so mm -hmm. I've invested, um, because I knew the S2G guys really well. And Victor mm -hmm. who started lava, mm -hmm. um, and became uh, most of the time it's products that I just think are amazing and, mm -hmm. and are needed. And I wanted a thick yogurt that was plant-based and I couldn't find any. And so, when I tasted that, I was like, wow, that's great. And so I called Victor and I said, hey, if you guys do around, I want to mm -hmm. I want to invest. And so I invested in that. Um, I actually first heard about Sparrow on your podcast <laughs> and tried the product and loved it. Mm -hmm. and fell in love. Have, have you ever had the, cin the cinnamon flavored one? Yes, I have. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, I tasted all of them. <laughs> on apples, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I, I ended up investing a small amount with her. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm invested in a very early brand. Um, called Cool Beans, mm. that uh, one of the problems that's out there in the market, if you go vegan and you want to eat whole food plant-based, which is what, if you watch Forks Over Knives or Game mm. Changers, that's what they're talking about, the mm. doctors, whole food plant-based diet, really hard to do in the grocery store unless you're going to cook it yourself. Yeah. And I just don't have time to do that. I'm the only one in my family that's 100% vegan. Um, and so I was doing that for a while, but really wanted to see um, more whole food plant-based options. And so this company, Cool Beans, is, is introducing these frozen wraps that um, are whole food plant-based or as close as you can get. Mm. And so unlike a Beyond and Impossible, which are great and I love them and they taste great, I'll eat them once in a while, but I just don't want to eat it every day. Yeah. And so I want something that I can go to. And that, so that's another company I've invested in. That's, it's crazy that there aren't that many more options, right? For whole food plant-based packaged products. I mean, it's been Some a few years. Some of the years. vegan foods even more processed than, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of scary really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Just a, being vegan, just having, calling a vegan food does not mean it's healthy. No, definitely not. And and I, I can I can say from my own experience that I was an unhealthy vegan for the first few years. Right. Um, because, you know, I joke about this all the time, sugar, salt, um, oil, and uh, processed flour, all vegan. Right. <laughs> so... Uh, you can eat, and I have to confess now. Even I try to be as whole food plant based as I can be, but I'm mm. not all the time. And I have you ever had Eat Purely's cookie dough? No, <laughs> vegan gluten free cookie dough. Oh my God, it's really good. Uh, yeah, I should look that up. Um, yeah. So I mean, so whole food plant based, right? So back to what inspired you to you. Obviously, you learn about climate change and and the connection between food and animal agriculture and climate change. It sounds like you also did your research on health as most people start to do when, when you are going to make changes to your own diet. You, you won't necessarily do it unless you know it, it, it can't benefit you. I mean, there are right. some rare people who will switch diets for, for some bigger reasons only, but if it doesn't work for them, they, they don't stick with it. So I think it's also important as we tell people that we need to shift our diets away from meat, dairy, and eggs and choose more plant-based foods 
we add in that when you choose plant-based foods, try to make them whole food plant-based yeah. most of the time at least, yeah, exactly. if not all the time. I mean, I again, I'm not one who eats 100% whole food plant-based, but I try to. At least I try to yeah. eat about 80%, and most days, I mean, most days I manage to do it. It's not that hard. Um, but but the biggest challenge is when I'm traveling, um, when I'm busy, uh, the options are few and far between. The fascinating thing about it, and and I know most of the people that probably listen to your podcast are probably already plant-based, but to anybody that's not, the thing mm-hmm. that was most fascinating to me about it, because I had tried a lot of diets. I had tried Atkins and um, paleo and gluten-free and all, all these different diets, um, and I could stick with them for, you know, a couple of weeks, maybe a week or two. And uh, eventually I just would break down and, and end up gaining back whatever I lost. Mm-hmm. And it was a cycle. And I was always hungry. I mean, it was just, and just depressed, you know, mm-hmm. it was just, it was, it was a battle and it was really dieting, like what dieting sounds yeah. like it is, but it was never like that with plant-based. I, I changed, converted to plant-based. I ate as much as I wanted. Whenever I wanted, I was never hungry. I just was eating the right stuff and lost 25 pounds over the first year, basically, and and kept it off. And um, yeah, at my my peak, I was 220 and I weighed 190 now. And it's, it's, you know, it's never coming back. I mean, it's been gone for now two and a half, three years. So So you had a personal impact with this diet too. I mean, absolutely. so it wasn't just... I would never go back after... (laughs) <laughs> what I've been through and, and it's, it's affected my family. They've seen mm-hmm. it happen and they've def they are not vegan. Um, but they all eat a whole lot less mm. meat and cheese and dairy. And my one daughter who had, used to drink a lot of dairy has converted to, um, oat, oatly. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's had an impact. And so now that you've obviously felt the health impact of it, do you feel a bit of an obligation personally that you only invest in companies that also have that, um, you know, are are at least leaning towards something healthier? Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough call. I mean, when you've got this, this limitation of 90% going into rural, Mm. I don't think that fund could ever limit itself completely to to plant, you know, to mm-hmm. non-animal agriculture because you're, you're just limiting. You're already so limited mm. in what you can look at. Um, but, but certainly that what, what I would work on personally mm-hmm. and where my focus is is that from a health, from a climate, and from an animal standpoint, it's it, it's just not sustainable for us to eat eat animals Mm -hmm. and so i think we will change that over time Mm -hmm. i don't know that it'll ever be a hundred percent but it the conversation has amplified dramatically over the last three years and hopefully that will continue and they give you the flexibility to not have to be on the board of a company if you don't if you choose not to be yeah right sounds like it's it's not really you're not forced into doing things you would probably not want to do yeah and 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 to be honest I, i think advantage had some um, institutional memory about some bad meat deals from way before I got involved. Mm-hmm. So um, there's not a lot of people clamoring to do meat <laughs> deals anyway. So. I mean, I can't imagine why they would. I mean, maybe there's a case to be made about regenerative agriculture, and we'll we'll get we'll get there. But um, but in general, I mean, yeah, any, the, the, even the meat companies are launching plant based brands. So. Right. Exactly. It's it's the the. There's big headwinds against me yeah. right now. For sure. So tell me a lot more about 
cool beans because I have tried the product. I mean, yeah. it's not out in the market yet, right? No, um, I, I tried it at a trade show, and I've been and I was telling you I was looking for um, for something really flavorful and convenient that also happened to be healthy where I could buy it regularly. I mean, I'm always on the lookout for. For me, the holy holy grail is, you know, they say taste, price, and convenience. I'm like also healthy nutrition. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> because all the some of the stuff that's taste, price, and convenience, and plant based, I can't eat too much of it. Right, I just don't feel great anymore. It's not even just like I'm I'm trying to you know diet or something. No, and that's what and that's what younger people want too. Mm-hmm. If you think about um, millennials and Generation Z, you know they are reading labels. They want clean ingredients. Uh, as a general overall arching theme. So then to put garbage Mm -hmm. inside just because it's the plant-based movement, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, And so that's, so yeah, that that company's going to start selling product, I think next month uh, in the Chicago, New York and LA are their main focus areas, Mm -hmm. but they're also, I'm sure they'll be opportunistic for other opportunities. Um, and it's being launched by the folks at Beyond Brands who mm-hmm. um, also launched Good Catch mm-hmm. and were involved with that company from the beginning. So they have a lot of experience. And uh, yeah. So and where can we expect to see them? So it's a frozen stuff? It's a frozen product. It's a, it's a wrap. Um, and they have um, three different starting kind of SKUs that'll be... One's kind of spicy, middle spicy, mm-hmm. low spice. Um, and so I think it'll be in Chicago, uh, I think they're lo- launching in Peapod. Mm. Um, and and then several stores, I, I think they're in discussions with Sprouts and whatnot. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. We'd have to talk to them more specifically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be it'll be grocery retail, but natural food stores. Right, and whole food, plant based. So what, the ingredients don't include. Any. So every every product only has legumes, veggies, and whole grains hmm. in the wrap inside, and then the wrap is a gluten free wrap. I think it's rice based. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's they're really tasty. And, and was this tough to to make? And frankly, I, frankly, I'm really. <laughs> I'm I'm really excited for them to launch because I want to buy the product. You know, <laughs> even more of them just being an investor, I really want to buy this. No, I agree. Basis. I, I the same reason I'm asking the question really yeah. is because, um, you know, if someone would have described that wrap to me, I would have assumed it wouldn't be good until right. I tasted it. Um, so because yeah, that's food scientist. That's the problem really with good, whole food plant based sometimes, and and some of the. The, the products that have been on the market, there haven't been that many in the frozen section, but those that have launched have been, frankly, not, not up to par and right. flavorless. <laughs> and, yeah, because they try to be too healthy, and then basically it's, it's, it's not edible. Right. right. So, but right. that wasn't the case when I tried Cool Beans. I was like, whoa. Yeah. No, they, yeah, they didn't had, taste had like a really frozen good food scientist, mm-hmm. Maggie Sadowski, and she came up with just some amazing versions. And what was it tough to to scale manufacturing and to be able to turn that into something that I you think are? They're all outside outsourced, mm-hmm. so they're using um, um, an outsourcing company that does a lot of work with wraps and burritos, and so they make the product, mm. and then they distribute it through um, World Finer Foods, which is somebody that that Eric Schnell and Beyond Brands have a relationship with, and mm-hmm. they're the ones to kind of taking it to market through the kind of normal channels of UNFI, KE, and all the yeah. natural food stores. 
Yeah, we we probably need a deeper dive just on Cool Beans. But what what do you see as the as yeah, the you, vision of that company? Eric would be a great Eric would be a great one to get yeah. on the podcast because he's had some. Besides Good Catch, um, he launched Steez from mm-hmm. from which was really kind of the first sparkling tea brand that was natural, um, and so he's had some great success over the years and. Interesting guy, for yeah. sure. And been a vegetarian all his life, too. <laughs> He's got some great stories. So what's next for cool, cool Beans? Obviously, the launch, but what is the bigger vision for Cool Beans? Is the wraps just a starting point? I don't know that they've got a huge roadmap right mm-hmm. now. I think they've got some other ideas mm-hmm. on of directions to go in, but I don't think it's um, it's ready for prime time to talk about it. Yeah. 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 So, you know, we've touched on this a little bit as you were talking about Advantage Capital and you know, some of the challenges with plant-based, the plant-based category and movement in general right now. So obviously it's, we are in 2020, plant-based foods have never been hotter, more talked about. There's never been more funding into plant-based food companies. I mean, plant-based food companies are leading the way on all fronts. I mean, of course, Beyond Meat, and you've had recent funding rounds for Calafia and Good Catch Foods. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously there's this big push in the fast food space for plant-based meats, whether it's obviously the Burger King and maybe McDonald's soon, who knows. Uh, It's all great. I mean, I'm not complaining. I could have never predicted this would all happen so fast. And I think we are, we're making strides and, and hopefully it'll all add up to a better food system someday. But like some of the skepticism I expressed and you kind of agreed with in the beginning was what we are going to have to do to actually create a more sustainable food system is to focus on uh, making sure it is diverse also. And so what that means is that, again, no one ingredient, no one product, no one company is going to fix all the problems. No one technology either is going to mass, even cell-based meat, as much as it seems like one of those panacea technologies that can come about and disrupt the entire you know, intensive agriculture system. Um, Of course, it'll make an impact when it launches, but how quickly, how fast will it ramp up? uh, What the negative consequences could be from that technology? We don't know yet. So there's always unknowns for as much as we think we know. We always find out (laughs) down the line. There's a really funny story on that. Mm -hmm. So that that same podcast that I was talking about, Make Me Smarter, when they were talking about impossible foods, they got into a debate because... They described the process of cell-based meat and that they were fermenting the product. Mm -hmm. And so basically like it's a fermented goo or something like that. And the one guy said, oh, that's gross. I don't think I'd ever eat it. And the the woman, and I can't remember her name, but um, she said, wait, more gross than cutting up animals? (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Uh, good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's a, a good clarification up front. Is that when I bring up questions about why plant based may not be perfect or why almond milk might be a problem sometimes from a sustainability standpoint? Let's not forget that it is better. Yeah, right. Than anything exactly. that comes from a cow or that yeah. comes from a chicken. So you know, let's not. Let's just obviously. I'm assuming we're past that point. The science around health also points to the fact that we are probably better off not consuming as much as we do, at least. Yeah. But then the question becomes: Is what is this this future food system going to be made up of? Um, we we in talking about you know if someone was investing in in animal agriculture, where would they be putting their money now, knowing that 
this industry, this massively destructive industry, which is 97 to 99% of it, uh, is made up of factory farms. That's intensive yeah. farming. So when people are investing in, in, in the meat space now, are they putting their money into regenerative farms? Is, is that a solution? So I know you and I have had conversations about, which may sound funny, two vegans meet for dinner, eating vegan food, discussing regenerative agriculture. Yeah, right. But, but well, I, like the, I, think, I like that because you're open-minded and I, yeah. and I try to be. So. Well, and I think, I, th- I think of regenerative agriculture maybe in a different way than a heavy meat eater thinks mm-hmm. about it because absolutely manure is involved in regenerative agriculture, but it doesn't mean you need to have 3,000 head of cattle um, in a factory farm to create the manure for regenerative agriculture. And, and frankly, you want a few kiss the ground. You've read Chris. The ground. Yes. I read the whole book. Yeah. And they, they talk about, you know, they've got 10 cows mm-hmm. on, on their 500 acres or whatever, walking around and, and fertilizing. And then they've got a bunch of chickens running around and everything. Um, that's a very different environment than what we have in this country. And there are, some investors that are investing in um, grass-fed beef, grass-fed milk, things like that. Uh, we looked at it. We looked at it heavily, uh, especially some bison things early on. One of the people said, we were talking about the sustainability. How can you get 10 times bigger than you are today? Um, and he, he flat out said, we can't. There's not enough grassland to do that. So uh, I think that there's, we, we could never eat as many animals as we wanted to on, on a grass-fed diet. It's just not possible. Um, we could certainly reduce a lot of the animals, and then maybe some people could eat more. That, that's maybe possible, but it, it's just not a sustainable model, the way that it's going. And to have 70% of your farmland be used to feed animals and ethanol plants um, that all that could be used for growing things that become food for humans but it isn't right now it, it's mm-hmm. food for animals that then is an inefficient way to yeah. grow protein for humans yeah and i you know i try not to get caught up in the grass-fed versus plant-based debate because I think we have a lot more in common than we actually sure. disagree. With. I mean, there's some fundamental things that we probably will not agree on. Uh, but at the same time, that grass-fed meat, for example, is what, 1% to 3% of meat production right now. And no one's challenged me on this so far, but I have come to the conclusion that maybe they're right. And let's run through what they could be right on. They could be right on the fact that there is some benefit to the soil when you rotationally graze animals there could be some carbon sequestration potential in 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 regenerative agriculture again the science is still kind of confusing on some of this there's mm-hmm. this conflicting reports about the potential of even how much carbon can be sequestered in the soil but let's assume it's 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 better on all those fronts Plus, obviously, it's it's it could be organic. It doesn't involve antibiotics. It does not involve intensive, you know, feedlots. It, it right. is a smaller number of animals. Let's just assume all of that is true, and they're hundred percent right about all of it. I read Kiss the Ground. I watched Biggest Little Farm, and 
learned a lot from it and I thought the the documentary obviously was was very well made but it still left me with this this one fact that I think sometimes gets missed on when people and I think you just mentioned it um the reality is that it even if everyone switched to grass fed even if all the you know factory farms shut down tomorrow and they decided we're going to do it the right way at best it would according to some of the research i've read produce only about 27 to maybe 50 to 60% of the oh, current out yeah of the current need for meat in this country so that leaves me with one conclusion and one conclusion only is that if you're promoting grass fed or regenerative you also have to add in the statement that people need to consume less yeah correct meat. Absolutely. And if you don't say that, then you're just being dishonest. Because it's not feasible. It's not feasible. I mean, so, and I, and sometimes that gets missed in this debate. So like, it's easy to just say it's good or bad. And, you know, I can bring up facts that say it's bad for land, it's bad for water. Yeah. Well, and the biggest benefit of the regenerative agriculture, I mean, it, it requires some manure and, and, mm-hmm. and inputs. Um, probably food waste could be included in that. Um, but... The fact that you're not spraying glyphosate, mm-hmm. killing the soil, and you're not tilling, that, that's really the, the primary reason why the soil's alive. Right. And uh, just stopping that would be a massive change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I know you've listened a lot to Zach Bush and, and whatnot, but what, what he talks about, what was eye-opening to me was the fact, because, uh, look, I've always not trusted glyphosate, but I didn't know why necessarily. Um, and that's the main reason why you don't like GMOs, right? Is because it just allows them to spray a lot more glyphosate on yeah. the crops. And, but what he said was really eye-opening to me that glyphosate is basically an antibiotic, mm. which means it kills all biotic life. And so it's going to kill the life in the soil. And so it's bad for the soil. It runs off. It's, 80% of it runs off, or 75% runs off into the water. It's water-soluble, so it's in our drinking water. It's in the air. And what that does is, in our food, obviously, wheat and whatnot, it kills the good bacteria in your gut. And that's really the downside, is because your gut is so important to your health. And if, if it kills the good bacteria, um, you're more susceptible to illness, you're more susceptible to cancer and all these different things. And that's really the downside to glyphosate. It isn't necessarily that it directly causes cancer. It's mm-hmm. that it, it, it weakens you so that you're much more susceptible. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, it sounds like you're a believer in farming. And that may sound like a yeah, bizarre sure. thing, but because a lot of people these days tend to take sides. They're the believers of technology and they believe maybe farming is, is done, the, at least the old way. Um, but I'm getting the sense that you still think farming plays a role, and Absolutely. which may sound like an obvious thing to say if you're in the food industry, but it, I meet a lot of people who actually don't know much about farming and don't think about it, even though they are in the food industry. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, where we are in farming mm-hmm. today, and um, have we've gotten to this point because of a whole lot of unintended consequences from decisions that were made since the 1930s and it's gone way way back and people made what seemed like good decisions and i think they were all good intentioned in their decisions um to make you know there was a there was a former agriculture director that said you had to be bigger everybody had to go bigger and you can't small farms weren't going to survive and so farmers got big and big big and 
then you can only focus on corn and soybean. And, and frankly, at some point, they stopped rotating. Um, I was doing a farm bankruptcy in, in 2009 or 10, um, big farm bankruptcy. And it turned out to be kind of like a Ponzi scheme. And the guy was basically just manipulating his banks. But what I, I know when I got involved, he, he farmed 30,000 acres mm. and only and 90% of it was corn. Mm. I said, you know, why don't. It, wouldn't you be if you're rotating crops? Wouldn't it be more like fifty-fifty or something like? He said, "Oh no, we don't rotate crops. We just put NPK back into the soil, nitrogen, mm-hmm. pot- potassium, phosphate, and because uh, and, it's a lot easier. And, and at the end of the day, that's just the better way to do it. And so, like we all know, when you're spraying a lot of chemicals, the soil's just dead, and they're just putting chemicals on it. They're put, putting the inputs on it and growing the same things over and over." I thought, okay, well, that's probably the reason he's bankrupt, right? He's, mm-hmm. He must be just him. He's the one doing it. So we sold that entity, and I had the chance to meet six different big farmers that had 10,000 or more acres. All of them did the same thing. And again, it's all just unintended consequences down to the system that you need to do. And and farmers are stuck. I mean, it's a, it's a bad situation that they're in because in order to get loans, they've all got loans, uh, you have to have crop insurance. And to get crop insurance, you have to do conventional farming the way that the USDA tells you is the right way to do farming. And so that involves chemicals and tilling and et cetera. To make that shift to go to regenerative, they really need funding to do that. It's not an easy transition. One, because you're not going to be organic for three years, Mm -hmm. but two, because there's a period of time here where you don't, you can't get crop insurance. And so it's, it's a tough situation. And in the meantime, the seed companies have, you know, continued to increase prices and mm-hmm. now they own the seeds and the chemicals that they spray, the yeah. pesticides. And so they own most of the profit in the system and the farmers are basically serfs and it's a sad situation. So how, how do you think we're going to get out of this mess? Well, I think we're going to, I think ultimately it's going to go back to smaller farms, mm-hmm. but I think the people like Farmers Footprint, that Zach Bush is behind, um, Kiss the Ground, that organization, that are helping farmers to kind of convert to something that's more organic and mm-hmm. uh, sustainable is the right way to go. And ultimately, people will farm smaller acres, but a lot more crops, and they'll make more profit than they do on more acreage mm-hmm. because the, the dollar values are better. Yeah, but... But it's, it's a long process. It's a sm- and it's, that it's a small movement right now. I it mean, is. I mean, it we is. we talk. I mean, the plant based movement is way bigger than that at I this know. moment. Um, but um, the sad you know, the sad fact is, most of what you eat that's organic is coming to you from Brazil, Russia, mm-hmm. um, India. Mm-hmm. It's not grown in the U.S. It's I, that's got to change. Yeah, and farming is you know it it is complicated. I mean it's. I think we can in farming and even food choices, right? You you can all you can have is the right intention, but let's be honest. A label like vegan even is not when it, when we say like I choose to eat vegan, I eat plant based. It doesn't necessarily mean everything I put on my plate is the purest, healthiest. Right. Forget the health, just even from an environmental standpoint. I mean, um, and so it, it's a question of of doing your best and 
trying to be informed as possible and you know one is making food choices as an individual you you can you can try as much as you want but you're going to eventually your you have to you you can only buy food from where food is sold and where right. food is sold based it depends on where food is produced unless you start growing your own food which some people can do most people obviously cannot right personally for a lot of vegetables and and products i think it's insane not to buy organic mm-hmm. i really do i mean if you think about your long term health um the dollars yes it might cost 25% more but man think about the back end of what you're doing i mean that's a terrible mm-hmm. decision to say okay well i'm going to pay 25% less cuz i don't care what kind of poison's going to be put mm-hmm. it's, it's a bad choice right yeah so i think that the consumer's got to lead that we have several companies <clears throat> farmhouse culture is a good example and the vitas and that are 100% organic every product and it provides comfort to the person that knows that brand to say okay when i buy that i know everything that they make is going to be organic mm-hmm. um and i think that's important to people but yeah i think it's important that you have to make those food choices and drive companies to move in that direction yeah and i want to get your thoughts on the future uh, based on two perspectives one is more as an investor um how do you see cuz i know it there are differences uh, as an investor how do you see where your immediate focus is where do you think the there's mo- most growth potential that can not only be a great return on investment but also hit all those impact thresholds that you're looking for um yeah wh- where is your head at right now looking at where where the industry stands in 2020 where farming stands in this this time of in history right That's a really good question. I think um certainly plant-based is a is a huge growth area and it will continue to be I think. I think more people are learning about the diet and the climate impacts. Um I think indoor agriculture is going to be a very big industry in the future. Uh I think it's still in the nascent stage. People are still learning how to do it. <clears throat> I ultimately prefer and would like to see more people do the biofarm Mm-hmm. focus where you're actually growing in soil and you can be fully organic. Um that doesn't mean that the people that are doing hydroponic and aeroponic um aren't they're they're creating good product too and it and it isn't using chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um they just there's some argument to be made that if a plant is growing in soil it actually has to pull nutrients out of the soil and work for so it's mm-hmm. a stronger healthier plant than something that just basically spoon-fed yeah. through water their their nutrients if you will. Um but either either way agriculture indoors is going to grow I think and already some of the best tomatoes you can get are are grown in these um mighty vine some of these other farms where they grow tomato plants 30 feet into the air it's mm-hmm. pretty fascinating to see. Um so I definitely think that's a big area. I think we we have one company that's in composting uh, called, called Cascade Agronomics and they compost manure obviously so um you know it's not animal agriculture it obviously takes in stuff but that's going to be around for a long mm-hmm. time and you need to take that in I think it's important as a society that we compost all animal mm-hmm. agriculture manure right now and we don't that yeah. isn't the case you know in places where it, <laughs> it rots in cesspools and what not 
this is um so if you can compost it it's valuable to the soil number one and it's a way to get rid of it so that it doesn't end up in our waterways etc um but also that uh would include food waste uh what's happening in san francisco is a great Mm -hmm. example that you have to count you have to separate Mm -hmm. all food waste and and they compost it Uh, i think more cities need to do that because obviously when it gets into a landfill it might take 15 years for an orange to degrade Mm -hmm. and that doesn't make any sense especially when it could have been valuable to the soil so compost is, is is a big area that we like a lot i think reducing food waste is ridiculously important and finding other alternative uses i don't know if you do you see the the meme on twitter about um cashews oh yes <laughs> oh my god that was that was heart-wrenching to think i haven't eaten cashews since i was like oh my god i can't believe how much of the fruit yeah is just wasted. it's massive and yeah. it and it's just thrown away mm-hmm. um so i think finding alternative ways mm-hmm. you know what some of the companies like Regrand are doing, mm-hmm. and I think that's great. And I think we need to do more of that. We need to find ways. There's coffee flour. There should be mm. cacao, the, the cacao fruit that creates chocolate. There's got to be something to do with that. There's, a, there's, We've got to find other ways so that we don't have this huge food waste, 30% of all food wasted. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And and on the plant-based CPG side specifically, what, what categories do you think this are still unexplored? I mean, it... Maybe there's need for more burgers, but I think we... Yeah. Well, I would like to see a lot more people do whole food plant-based. Um, you know, Game Changers has been great, right? It's really... I've I've had four or five people tell me that they've turned vegan since seeing that movie that, that I never would have thought were mm-hmm. vegan. So that's, that's great. And I don't know if they'll stick with it or whatnot, but... Yeah. Again, all, all the doctors are talking about whole food plant-based, and yet then you walk into the grocery store, and the only place you can find that is in the produce section. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, not everybody has time to cook. Mm-hmm. That brings up a good question about from a consumer perspective. Where do you – I know you mentioned Gen Z and millennials obviously asking for cleaner, healthier, more nutritious foods. They want more plant-based foods. Uh, there are other diet trends at the moment that are pretty popular. Keto seems to be the new paleo, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, from a consumer standpoint, what, what, you know, it, obviously this, there's a tremendous amount of momentum right now, um, towards the kind of foods that we think are better for the planet, better for our health. But what, what, you know, would you tell someone who's just getting started in their journey, trying to figure out what to how to approach their diet and how to make better choices. I mean, I, last thing yeah. I want is for someone to hear this conversation and be more confused because we have expressed skepticism about everything yet been optimistic about almost everything. Right. And so in the end, it's like, wait, what do I, what do I do? What do I eat? Well, anymore? you know, it's, it's funny that you bring that up. Cause I, I, I had a lot of people when I would, and I, I have to be careful not to soapbox. I, and I, you probably have the same thing when you're talking with people. I don't want people to feel bad about their diet or whatever. Mm. I don't want to. And so I, and I can always often get my family rolling their eyes at me when, oh, God, here he goes. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, but people ask me when I tell them that I am. They ask me why. And I tell them the truth. And, and so... One of the things I did was along the way, I created this thing, a cheat guide basically for going vegan. And it started out as just like, here are some foods that you can try to eat and whatever. And now it's probably like 
12 pages or something with some of the reasons why I did it and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But you can, and I just put it on my Twitter page and you can just download it for free. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And it's just, it's just something that I wanted to be able to give to people to say, here, mm -hmm. just read this and see if, if it makes sense. If it doesn't, you know, no big deal. But, you know, it, it's terrible when you see somebody that you know is struggling with weight and mm -hmm. probably isn't very healthy and you're like, shit, I know the answer, but, <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I can't beat it into you. I can't tell you, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. So what is a, you know, a, a, before I ask you my last question, I want to know, because I typically don't ask these questions to folks, but your area of interest and in, in knowledge is so wide that somehow and because you mentioned you have this little guide what is a typical day of food look for you because i want you know generally people listening to this podcast aren't listening to it because they want to know how to eat better but i'm sure everyone could use some tips so sure. that, you've done it and it's worked for you yeah what is a day of food look for you? so in the morning i almost always eat um so i put out frozen blueberries the night before in a bowl. I think you told me to try, do that, and I started doing it. And my father-in-law told me, and it's amazing. It's a game changer, and they taste so good. So you put them out in a bowl overnight, and um, they thaw, and they're still chilled, but they th they're thawed. Uh, I mix that with um, either flaxseed meal or hempseed meal and uh, walnuts, mm -hmm. and that's my breakfast usually. So it's got protein but it's it's also tastes really good and it's and one of the things Michael Gregor says three foods you should eat every day blueberries walnuts and um, flaxseed meal mm -hmm. limiting to like one tablespoon of flaxseed because I guess it might have arsenic in it I don't mm -hmm. know so <laughs> but at any rate that so that's what I usually have for breakfast um, lunch I, I go I do at work so I'll go to Rody or maybe have falafel uh, I'll go get lentil soup. Um, Pret-a-manger, I never can say that right, but they have great <laughs> Moroccan lentil soup that's yeah. all vegan. Uh, I sometimes go, sometimes go to Veggie Grill. There's, we've got a place called Vegan Now by us that is soul food vegan, mm. which is great. I go there, um, or you can go to Chipotle, mm. get get a bowl, yeah, yeah, a burrito bowl. That's those are great. Uh, and then at night, <clears throat> it depends. Um, I'll cook sometimes, mostly pasta because it's quick and easy. Uh, and that I'll do pa uh, kind of like a vegan pesto. Mm -hmm. The Gotham Greens actually has vegan pesto that's really yeah. good. Um, and Or I'll do a red sauce with capers and something like that. Uh, I, I was making, for a while, I was making Thai food and some Indian food and whatnot. I typically do that on the weekend and then make big batches and then I'll put it in the fridge and have it during the week. Mm. Um, but don't do that very often. On occasion, I'll have Beyond Brats. Those are really good. Those are the good. <laughs> I, I like the hot Italian. Actually. Yeah, that's your favorite? Yeah, yeah, that is my favorite. Those um, are really, really good. I, mm -hmm. You wouldn't want to eat those all the time, but they're damn good. <laughs> it's true. Uh, that sounds like a pretty, pretty healthy way of eating. I mean, the Fairly. breakfast itself sounded pretty... Like I, I'm going to probably try that. I do the blueberries sometimes, but I don't mix it with walnuts. And Yeah, and if you want, you can also add like a half a packet of um, Samazon acai, those frozen mm. acai. You can put that, unfreeze it too. I do that sometimes because it, 
even makes it a little more sweet if yeah. you want it to be sweet. But yeah, I love blueberries. I mean, yeah, food uh, food can be pretty simple and still good. I mean, I think just people overcomplicate it sometimes. And then I guess uh, because, you know, people just want to make that extra effort, we end up going for the quick options that are always not the best for us. But, you know, hopefully if Cool Beans... Um, as soon as which is yeah. going to launch soon is going to make it easier for a lot of people. Plus, um, you know, again, that alone is not going to fix everything. So, no, you know, a lot I close of people doing that. Yeah, and you know, uh, let's talk far ahead. You know, I close out my podcast with this one last question, which is: um, if your fund, if the companies that you invest in, your portfolio companies, if this entire movement to improve our food system succeeds, like, what is your best case scenario for? our food system in the year 2050 if we get it right if we're able to grow food the right way if we're able to you know get people to change the way they're eating if meat isn't consumed the way it is right, right now or at least industrial uh, meat or factory farm meat isn't consumed the way it is right now and maybe cell-based meat and plant-based right with some amount of regen if people still want that and uh yeah what does that future look like for you well, you know, I'm I'm an optimistic person by nature. Um, I'm extremely concerned about climate change, and I tw- tweet about it and write about it all the time. Um, but I do believe that what we've seen happening over the last three to five years um, is shaking a lot of people up, and big companies, and um, CEOs, and politicians, and and everyday folks. And I do believe that we will find solutions to change things. And I think this will be a, I think, you know, I know there's a lot of warnings about, geez, we've only got a couple of years left. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, certainly we're going to go swing back. The pendulum's going to swing a long way on climate change. We're going to have huge climate migration, which is probably the most scary thing. Mm-hmm. The, the millions of people that are going to be displaced. Um, but I do believe that we're going to get ahead of this and it'll kind of, and it's going to come back down, but it might not be by 2050. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, th- I think that we'll eat a lot more plant-based as a society than we do now. I think we'll eat a lot less animals. Um, I think that we, I, th- I think people are going to be educated about soil and how important soil is not only to. Um, sequestering carbon, but it also is the moisture that holds the moisture that creates the rain. Mm. So you don't get the desertification that we're getting in parts of the country too. Um, so it's a, it's a huge ecosystem. I think, I think we got here because in the 50s, 60s and 70s, look, the baby boomers, we were, we were all there and we said, look, we want our pop tarts in the car on the way to work and they got to taste great. You know, we want a convenience and I don't care what's in it. I don't Mm -hmm. even want to read. I don't want to know. But now the consumer is going to drive it the other way. And it says, well, we don't want that anymore. We want things that are sustainable. We want them to taste good, but we want them to be really good for you. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope, I hope you're right. And you're probably also right that some of the, negative impacts of climate change are going to happen. I mean, they're already happening, but it's going to intensify. It's going to worsen. It's probably going to get worse before anything starts to get better. And, uh, you know, it's no longer a question of this bad thing is going to happen. Can we prevent it? I think we've reached the point where the bad things are already happening. Now the question is, how can we not make it worse? Right. Uh, And how can we mitigate some of those impacts? And, um, 
we ought to try even if you fail. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think sure. you know, let's close out with that. But if someone wants to learn more about the work you're doing, what's the best way to keep up with? Uh, I know you're very active on Twitter, yeah, but very, what else? I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, we our website advantagecap.com. Uh, you can find out the different things that we invest in. There's a way to join our newsletter that goes out that talks about the impacts and the impact stories, etc. Uh, Tyler, it's been a real pleasure getting to know you over the last couple of years, and I'm, I'm glad we finally Likewise. sat down to chat. I'm sure we will do this again. Sure. Uh, it, it, I kind of had a very different plan for this episode. I wasn't going to talk about one thing because I knew we could talk about so many different things, and, and hopefully people got a lot from it. So I, I appreciate you being on today. Absolutely. Thanks, Now. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.